Hey, moms, dads, and grandparents. This is Sandra Beck from Military Mom Talk Radio, and I know how hard it is to provide a great education for military kids. K-12 believes every child is uniquely brilliant. So to prepare them for college and succeed beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com front slash grade about enrollment. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, some are analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free, online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach to and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12-powered schools go on to fine colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed in life. Be part of the community of families who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students from grade K to 12. Visit k12.com front slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's k12.com front slash grade. Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are radio strong. Military Mom Talk Radio is sponsored in part by K-12. No matter where our military families are, K-12 enhances your child's ability to succeed. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, military moms. This is Sandra Beck, and I am here with Robin Boyd. Robin, how are we doing this week? Hey, great. How are you, Sandra? Very, very good. I have a, I'm so excited about today's show. I want to lead in right off with who our guest is today. It's Rita Cosby, uh, the author of Quiet Hero, and we've just such a great book, Robin. I'm so excited that we're going to bring her on later in the show. I am, too. This is just perfect. Um, and both of our dads uh, were in the, in the service. Where, where was your dad? Uh, my dad was Navy, and mm-hmm. uh, he was Navy, and he you can check him out on our website, militarymomtalkradio.com, in the, so the photo gallery section. We call it scrapbook. I think we've got a scrapbook page, yeah, because we've got a lot of different things in there, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and he, yeah. he was all over the world and, um, you know, brought back with that a love of uh, culture and education and all the things that we get when we travel. So I have the big travel bug from my dad. How about you? My dad was a corporal in the Marine Corps. Um, he served on Guadalcanal with the 1st Marine Division, and he was a pack howitzer gunner protecting Henderson Field while he served. So he was... Uh, 
he saw just one little sector of the world. Well, he saw a couple of different things. He was down in Australia, actually, uh, for quite a while. So, um, yeah, he was... He he did all the traveling he wanted to, and then I remember as a kid, my mom and I would travel quite a here and there, and he did not want to go anywhere. He says, I did all the traveling I want to do. <laughs> you know, my dad used to say that, too. You know, he was in Libya. He was in um, Greece. He was over. He did a couple of tours in the Mediterranean. And, wow. Um, which was why he wouldn't go to Europe with my mom on one of these tours. So I went with my mom, which was really fun. But he did agree to go with her to China, of all places, which we all thought was really strange. We're like, wow, Dad, China, really? But, you know, oh. you never know. Your dads are. Um, you know, dads are dads, and, and that's one of the things in this Quiet Hero book uh, that Rita Cosby wrote. Um, you know, the subtitle is Secrets from My Father's Past. It's amazing mm-hmm. how we learn about our parents as we grow up, and they choose to reveal things. And in her book, she has some amazing, amazing stories about the things she discovered uh, in a worn leather suitcase that was tucked away uh, in her mom's house. Wow. But it's just such an exciting story. I'm brimming with excitement. <laughs> well, tell. you know, isn't it wonderful that not only did she have a chance to document this, but that she had a chance to share a lot of this with her dad. I did not really get a lot of my father's stories, and actually my husband probably knows more about my father's travels than I do. Um, and, and I think that's what's kind of nice that our guest has been able to actually sit down and document and talk um, and to be able to have this, just her personally to have this memoir. And then on top of that, to share it with the world is just a great gift. It is. It is. And, Robin, I'm going to get right to it because we don't want to waste any time not having our guest today on the air. She is Rita Cosby, the author of Quiet Hero. We're bringing her on today because this is just such a great book. It's an easy read. It's interesting. It's insightful. It's entertaining. And, um, Rita, I'm just so happy that you're here with us today. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be with you, Sandra. This is terrific. And also I just want to say to all your listeners, you know, thank you for everything that you are doing for the military. It's wonderful, and just your commitment to to all the branches that you've been doing for years. And uh, I'm delighted to be on the show with you. Oh, I'm. You know, your book, your book is so amazing because the just. Can you run down for our listeners? Tell about the suitcase. The that to me is just. It's such an amazing story, and I think you can tell it better than anybody. Oh, you know what? I tell everybody keep. Everything that you, you know, when someone passes away, and in this case, my mother passed away, and, you know, sort of fast forward, I guess, before all of this, because I had a bit of a a very disjointed relationship with my father. You know, I had to sort of think back, you know, when I was doing this book, when did I realize my dad was different? And I remember when my dad came back from a run, from a marathon, and he took his shirt off, and I saw all these scars all over his body. I was about eight years old at the time. And I remember asking my mother, you know, what happened to dad? Did he get in a fight? You know, the, you know, just like a logical, like a sure. curious child. And my mother said to me, Sandra, I'll never forget this. She said, Rita, your father went through tough times growing up. We don't talk about it. And it was clear the door was closed. You know, I wonder if I became an investigative journalist, you know, asking questions of everybody else on Fox News and elsewhere because I wasn't able to do it at home, you know. Well, and that's pretty typical from the stories we hear of, you know, generations past. We, you know, we we cover that in a lot of our PTSD shows that our parents, 
you know, and that generation did not want to talk about what happened. Yeah, it's very typical. And in my father's case, it was times like 5,000 because my dad was went through so, uh, I think, such an incredible traumatic period, all as a teenager. I mean, my father wasn't fighting, you know, a war thousands of miles away, and he wasn't, you know, in his formative years. He was at a very young age. He was 13 years old when World War II broke out, and he was in Poland and literally saw the beginning of World War II and became a resistance fighter at a very early age. And all the things that my dad went through, all the extreme trauma that he went through, all of it he went through before the age of 20. And, and never it, spoke about it. Never spoke today. about it for 65 years until I found that suitcase. <laughs> You know, and fast forward, you know, suddenly my, unfortunately, my mother passed away a few years ago, and I was hosting a show at Fox News at the time, and I remember it was, you know, very, you know, when you're when you're a public figure, I guess, like we are, um, I very much, you know, it was a very much a public matter. It was very difficult, and my mother really raised my brother and me. Um, my father now, your left father the family. had left, yes, right? Your left father the left family. the family. He left the family very abruptly at Christmas. Um, and in fact, I remember, you know, I was a teenager getting my makeup on in the bathroom and hearing my parents talking. My dad was never really home, even when he physically was home. He always was sort of mentally away and always very emotionally disconnected. And you talk about post-traumatic stress, you know, my father certainly had it and certainly um, really, you know, changed, you know, went from Richard Kozabutsky, freedom fighter, to American father in America, basically never talking about his past, never talking about Poland, as if it almost never happened. Now, that was his Polish name, Richard yeah. Kozabutsky. That was his Polish name, you know, and then he changed it to Richard Kozabutsky. I tell everybody, thank goodness, because if it was, you know, Fox News Live with Rita Kozabutsky, it would have been very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> So I am thankful for that. That would have been even the Polish people had a hard time pronouncing it and spelling it. Yeah, that's um, a mouthful. It's a mouthful. Um, but my dad left the family very abruptly, and I remember hearing my parents arguing. Here I was a teenager, and I remember my dad saying, "I'm leaving," and I thought he was just leaving work, maybe changing his jobs or something. And then he walked in the bathroom and basically told me he was leaving my mother and essentially left us extremely abruptly. It was Christmas. And did and you see him much after that, or was he just gone? He was basically gone, and I don't know if my parents, I don't think my parents ever spoke again after that day. And it was uh, very painful and very confusing, because here I was a teenager, and I had no idea what happened to my father. I, I knew he obviously went through something traumatic that shaped him emotionally and physically, you know, by seeing the scars on his body, but obviously very emotionally. But what always confused me for decades um, until that suitcase was what happened to this man that he could leave a family so abruptly and so unemotionally. And I basically had almost little to no communication with him for decades after that Christmas. And I think what the hardest thing was, as a, you know, as a child, I remember seeing my mother was very upset. My mother was confused. I think she thought they had a good marriage. I thought we were pretty, you know, my brother and, and me were pretty good kids. Um, and, but he very quickly was able to sort of seamlessly leave that family and move on and, and start a new life and didn't seem emotionally affected by it. And I think that's what was the hardest thing for me to understand until recently. Because he just shut off. 
he totally shut off and didn't seem phased by the whole thing. And here, you know, here I was like, wait, wait, where is my dad? Even if though he was traveling a lot when I was growing up, and he was always again very sort of emotionally distant anyway. But but to not think of your father being your father anymore, basically, and not being home and not being a part of your life in any shape or form, and your mother suddenly not having a husband after 32 years. I mean, they were married a long time. Right, and the support, and and did he, when he left, he just left, and was there no communication? Did he, what did he go on and do? He actually, he was a civil engineer, and he did actually move his, you know, leave his company soon after, or actually relocate, I should say, stayed with the same company, but relocated. And I think my father just, I remember my father saying to me, he was approaching 60 years old at that point, and my father said to me, life's too short not to be happy, and I need to make some changes, and I need to do it now, and you'll understand later in life, Rita, but when you're not happy, you have to make some changes. And I remember thinking, he said it so matter-of-factly, like I'm, you know, you know, getting gas in the car. Meanwhile, he was, you know, leaving a family. Right, and, and changes include me. Yes, exactly. And it just, we were all so stunned. And my mother was very shaken by the whole thing. My brother and I were very, you know, just, and we learned to have to sort of basically grow up without a father. And my father, you know, there were, you know, decades where maybe I didn't even speak to my dad. I mean, it was, and when we did talk, it was very disconnected. And when my mother suddenly became very ill with cancer, um, I remember I talked to my dad briefly, and he just did not understand. He didn't get that, you know, how devastating it was, not just to my mother, certainly, but obviously to us, too, as his children, that we were losing a mother. And I remember thinking, what happened to this man? that he is so unaffected by death and so unaffected by emotional, you know, you know, tragedies and, and not being able to comfort. He didn't seem phased by someone dying, and let alone his wife of 32 years. And I just remember thinking, why is this man so numb? And then suddenly, as I mentioned, my mother passed away. And my brother and I had put all her stuff in storage. And remember, my mother raised the two of us. So it was very devastating when my mother suddenly passed. And my brother and I sort of put all her things in storage and said, okay, we'll get to them in a few years. Sure. And um, then we were emotionally ready to do it. And this was only about two and a half years ago. And we went through the storage locker. And suddenly in the corner, I see this old tan battered suitcase. And I had never seen it before. Just by looking at it, I was like, oh, what is this? This is unusual. And I remember opening it up. And my jaw dropped. Inside was a rusty POW tag emblazoned with the word Stalag 4B. And then I found this red and white fighting Polish armband that had blood and dirt all over it and clearly was worn. And then I found a card that had all these code names. This person had this whole sort of secret life, you know, like a scene out of a, a Tom Cruise movie almost, you know. And then I found a card of an ex-POW named Richard Kosobutsky. And when I saw that, I just wept. I just sat there in that storage locker. It's, you know, it's still emotional to this day, I think, about it. And just sitting there, and I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, this is my father. This is his past. This is what he didn't want to talk about for years, for decades. And I thought there for this moment, and I look at it very much as a turning point in my life, and, and obviously in his life, too. And I said to myself, whatever pain I went through, as a daughter, not having a father for decades, you know, here I became the successful TV host and traveled all over the world and have had a very blessed life. Um, and I had a lot of pain, though, not having a dad around to share it with. But then I thought whatever pain I went through is minor compared to what he clearly went through as a prisoner of war. And I knew right away the thing I needed to do was to re, you know, relocate my dad, to track him down, and to call him and reconnect with him.
Well, and what's amazing to me, Rita, is that he left that suitcase behind. I don't believe there's any accidents that way. I mean, and I agree, too. It's so interesting you say that. I absolutely agree. And that he saved these things. You know, when yes. you say you've got a bloody, you know, blood-stained Polish resistance armband, you know, rusted tags bearing a prisoner number, um, and I, it makes me think of um, there's one of these projects that we work on um, that's for the iHistory channel, and they talk about, you know, these men getting to a point in their life, you know, and they're finally willing to talk about what happened to them, um, but they didn't bring it to their families, and your father left this, I believe, for you to find. I do, too. And, and I also, and you know, it's interesting, he also, as much as my father never talked about this for 65 years, and as it turns out, never even talked to my mother about it either. I know more about my father than my mother ever did, which is interesting. Um, but my father, I believed, obviously, he clearly thought about this every day. And he kept those things. And when I saw, in fact, when I, I returned the items to him and, and we reconnected, and when I said to my dad, what is the, you know, what is, why didn't you wash the armband? Why did you keep, he said, I wanted to keep the blood of my comrades there. I wanted to keep the dirt of Warsaw because I wanted to never forget what happened there. That is unbelievably painful and powerful and, and just, it's unimaginable. It's absolutely unimaginable. Um, when we come back from the break, Rita is going to talk to us about persuading her father to break his silence. For those of you who have just joined us uh, at Military Mom Talk Radio, my name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Robin Boyd, and our guest today is the author Rita Cosby. She has written this amazing book, um, Secrets from Her Father's Past, Quiet Hero. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes & Noble. You can probably pick it up in your bookstore. It's just an unbelievable story about a woman who found a suitcase containing relics from her father's previous service. Please join us after the break. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, 
Hey, military moms, this is Sandra and Robin, and we have the best guest today. We have Rita Cosby. She is the author of Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. It's a wonderful book. I have read it, and um, she has just had the most extraordinary experience. And for those of us um, that are just joining us right now, uh, she has found, uh, a couple years ago, she found a worn, tattered leather suitcase tucked away full of mementos, but those mementos included um, identity cards for her father as part of the Polish resistance, an armband, and after not speaking with her father for many years after he had left the family, she tracked him down and had some questions. And I'd like to pick up, Rita, if we can, where we left off. How did you persuade your father to break his silence, which we know men of that generation and a lot of people who've gone through these situations, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, they don't. And my father, as I told you, was exemplified because he literally took on a whole new identity. I mean, he left, you know, Europe behind, came over to America, learned the language, changed his name from Richard Kozabutsky to Richard Cosby. Um, and in fact, you know, it's funny, when I was at the, you know, at the dining room table, I remember at the dinner table with my family, you know, when I was young, my father would talk about World War II as if he was a spectator, you know, as if he watched it on television, never talking as if he was there. That's wow. how disconnected my father was, you know, and I think he just did it as a as a survival mechanism. And so when I reached out to my dad, I'll tell you, I was so nervous. Here I am, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I was on Fox News ten years, you know, doing things now with with Inside Edition. I've interviewed, you know, a lot of who's who and interesting people. I was so nervous to make the call. To my father. So you're this famous television personality <laughs> yes. scared to call your dad. <laughs> and we hadn't talked in years. And I thought to myself, you know, what if he rejects me? You know, am I ready? Mm-hmm. You know, what if he's emotionally numb as he had been for so many years in the past? But then I said to myself, I'm an adult now, and I need to call him. I need to find out not just who he is. I need to find out who I am. And I hope that he's ready to share it because, you know, he's getting up in years. He's 85 years old now. And I tracked down my dad, and he was so happy to hear from me. And I think the reason I broke through with my dad, and I'm so happy that my story has a, has a very happy ending, um, because my dad and I are now incredibly close, and I think almost closer than most daughters and fathers in the world are truly, because we went through such incredible hurdles together, um, that I think... I went with such a loving approach to my dad. When I called him, you know, I didn't come across and say, hey, dad, you know, why'd you leave us high and dry at Christmas? And, you know, why were you not present in my life for 30 years? You know, those are never good icebreakers. Yeah, that's not a good icebreaker, right? (laughs) And what I did do was I said, dad, I want to know what you went through. I think I'm ready. I'm an adult. And I'd like to talk and I'd like to get to know who you are. And and you got to share the story, dad. Just, you know, I I was not approaching him as a journalist at first and not even as an author at first. I was approaching him as a daughter wanting to get to know my dad and I think despite trying to be tough and grow without him and live without him I obviously really miss my dad you know and when I called him he was so happy to hear from me and then I went down and saw him he lives right outside Washington DC I live in New York and we went I went down there and um, it started this incredible journey. And as anyone now, let me ask you. Let me stop you yep, right here. Yep, ask you. How did you feel when you first saw your dad? You hadn't seen him in a long time. You've got this suitcase full of stuff that you want to talk about. What was going through your head when you first saw him? Oh, all these questions. I mean, at first, you know, first I was curious to see him. I mean, I hadn't seen him in a long time. I mean, he obviously looked older to me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was, was has always been the beacon of health. Even at 85, he still looks very good. You know, he looks like 85 going on 60. And in Is fact, he 85 on the cover of your book? He's 83, almost 84. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he looks great. You both he looks, do. And, and the thing is, too, because my father stayed so physically active, he's so mentally active as well. I mean, my father's memory is incredible. And again, even though he didn't talk about these things for 65 years, he remembered it. He almost remembered, like, okay, it was Tuesday. You know, September 1944. You know, I mean, he could wow, remember. Wow, finite detail. Incredible. And like almost time of day on certain things. And by the way, as a journalist, I did track down a lot of things to, you know, coordinate what he was doing to, uh, you know, add on to what he was saying. And he was right every sure. single time he was right. <laughs> wow. It was incredible. In fact, one time I got a pair of some documents back from the Polish government because they were so excited when they heard my dad was ready to talk because my dad was one of the few who survived. I think one of the biggest blood baths in World War II. And so when they heard who my father was and they tracked down and found records in Poland, even though Poland basically burned to the ground, they had testimony from other guys in my father's unit, the other few who survived. And they said, do you realize who your father is? He's a hero in Poland. We need to find out. They've been so excited about this. And when they tracked down documents, they said, they gave me one document of an injury, and they said, oh, it happened on September um, 2nd, 1944. And my dad said, no, I think that was September 23rd or 4th, because I think it was a Tuesday. And, you know, he's going back. And sure enough, two weeks later, the Polish consulate comes back to me and said, hey, we made a mistake. It's September 23rd. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? What amazing attention to detail. And it just shows that, you know, what goes through these, even though he hadn't talked about it, clearly he it was repeating in his mind over and over again. And and the getting of the story, the breaking of the silence, and I feel like I am so blessed, you guys, that I was able to break through with my dad because my dad, I, it was pulling teeth. It wasn't like all of a sudden, hey, I'm ready to tell the story. It was bits and pieces, and then we'd spend more time, and then the next day we'd spend more hours. And I spent more time with my dad for about a six-month period than I did my entire life. And it was the most incredible journey. And then my dad and I went back to Poland together. We retraced his steps. When I returned that, especially, you know, it triggered it. I returned that armband. And when my dad saw those items, first we talked for a bit, and then I gave him the suitcase back, and then we started talking. And when I gave him the suitcase with the red and white armband, and he took it out, and he put it right on his arm right away, like as if he was fighting again. And he looked at it, and he held it, and you could tell it was like it represented his, his comrades. And he said to me, he said, I wonder who survived. And I said, Dad, he had not been back in 65 years. He left Poland. When he left, Poland was in flames. And that was the last time he, literally the last time he left, he was held at gunpoint, shoved down a rail car by the Nazis, didn't know where he was going to end up, thought it was maybe his last, you know, day on his life. And Warsaw was literally in rubble. Warsaw was 87% rubble by most estimates, so you can imagine what he, you know, he left hell. And he was how old at this point? At that point, he was uh, 18 years old. Five years of fighting, and then he was taken to a POW camp for six months until he escaped. And so my father just was so traumatized and never wanted to go back to Poland. I think he was too scared to, you know, confront the, the ghosts of his past, if you will. And, when and about that his armband, family that was there. What about his, 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 his family his family that was there? He lost touch with all of them. He had stayed touch very minimally after the war. Because what's interesting, after all these things my father went through, 
my father could not go back to Poland because Poland became a communist country after World War II. Remember, the Russians took right. it over. And the Russians, not only the poor Poles, I mean, if you see a Polish resistance fighter who's alive to this day, shake their hand because they are true heroes. And these guys were fighting with sticks and Molotov cocktails against the most brutal war machines in the world. My father was fighting at one point in his unit. They had 150 men. Two of them had guns. Can you imagine? And you're fighting the Nazi war machine? And then also the Russians, they were hoping at one point was going to help them. The Russians did not, as we know from history. And then the Russians, of course, hated the Polish resistance fighters. So when Poland, after World War II, became a communist country, my father could not go back. Despite being, you know, everything he went through, fighting for his country, surviving everything he did, he could not go back to his country. So he had very minimal contact with his parents and any other relatives because he didn't want to tip off the communist minders who were listening in on phone calls. Oh, sure. But isn't that amazing? That you know, So when he would call, he had a very short phone call one time with his mother. I think that was it since the war until she passed, sadly. And I remember him telling me that the phone call he acted, act, he had to act like it was a stranger calling. She knew it was him, but he had to pretend like it was some, you know, just generic person calling because he didn't want to tick the minders off that it was a family of a resistance fighter. Or they right, and the most loving, loving thing he could do for his family was to walk away. Isn't that, and you know what's interesting, when I was growing up, I'd always get letters from my dad, you know, just very minimal letters, and it would always say, yours, Richard. And I'm thinking, really? yours, Richard, what about love, dad? Yeah. Because everybody else would get love, Dad, and I would get yours, Richard. And it was because that was the way my dad used, that was the way he dealt with family growing up. Was it the same for your brother and your, so it was just, he was identified with the rich. Was it too painful for him to identify as family? I think so. And I think, and I think just that was the way he knew, you know, to protect his family. And that's what he grew up in. So that's what carried over when he became a father. And it's, it's, it's interesting, how, and of course, how was I to know? I just remember getting these letters from yours, Richard, thinking, who is, you know. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. But you, know what, you know what's amazing, you guys? My dad took me back, and this is where I really think I broke through with my dad. He took me back, and I hope that this inspires everybody to, to, to go. And I really pushed it with my father because he wanted to have resolution. You could tell. And so I said, Dad, let's go back to Poland together. And we literally held hands as he took his first step on Polish soil, first time in 65 years. He was, he was trembling like a child. He was so nervous going over there. But he said, I feel like I need to go back. I need to see who survived. I want to see what happened to my country. And so when we went back, my father took me to the scene where he says he lost all emotion. It was in the middle of the Warsaw Uprising. My father was fighting. You know, people were dying all around him. Eighty percent of his men, by the way, died in the uprising. You can imagine the odds my father was against. And so at one point in the uprising, his girlfriend and some other of his colleagues at the time as a teenager seized this German tank, and they were just so excited. You know, what a windfall. Here are these guys fighting with Molotov cocktails and sticks, and they grab a Nazi tank. You know, what a, what a coup. Yeah. And so they're parading on the tank, and my father heard about this, and his girlfriend said, I'm going to go over to the tank. And my dad said, no, this seems a little fishy. You know, it's a little strange that we got the tank. And she said, no, I'm going to go pray. We're going to drive around the town square, and we're going to show it off. And my dad walked away. He walks away a few blocks, and suddenly the ground shakes, and the tank exploded. And on top oh of the tank God. was my father's girlfriend and all his comrades. And my father ran back and said it was just rivers of blood. And now when we went back there in Poland, it's the scene of where 500 people were killed. 
800 were injured. They did indeed take it to a busy town square. And so many people were killed. And now it's a, now there's a plaque there honoring those who died, including my father's girlfriend and many of his comrades. And my father, when he took me back there, first of all, my father just broke down in tears. Here's this man, you know, who my entire life was so unemotional. Sarita, I hate to interrupt you. We, I need to take a commercial break. Our guest today on Military Mom Talk Radio is Rita Cosby. She is the author of an outstanding book called Quiet Hero, Secrets from My Father's Past. When we come back from the break, we will be talking about the adventures she's had with her father once she's gone to Poland and met the former president of Poland. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and our guest today is Rita Cosby. She's the author of a wonderful book. She has not given us anything promotion-wise to uh, promote her book and the sale of her book. Uh, This is purely because it's a wonderful book that I had the luxury of reading. She has got a great website. It's Quiet Hero, just like the title, quiethero.org. And uh, we had her on earlier in the show. For those of you who are just tuning in, we encourage you to listen to us on iTunes. Check us out at Military Mom Talk Radio. You can also download previous shows from militarymomtalkradio.com or from our host company site, Toginet.com. When we left um, for the break, Rita, you were telling us a very compelling story about uh, your father when you first returned home after 65 years back to Poland. Oh, yeah, we go back to the scene of where a tank exploded, a German tank. And his girlfriend was on the tank, his comrades were on the tank, my father heard you know, the ground shake, he ran back. And the tank, you know, they believe was probably booby-trapped or something, and clearly it exploded in a busy town square. 500 people were killed, 800 injured, massive scene, you know, of destruction. And my father ran back, and he said, looking for a piece of his friends. And there was nothing. He said it was just rivers of blood. And my father, when we went back to the scene of where that happened, he just broke down in front of me. And here was my dad, you know, the history with my dad. He was so unemotional and so numb my entire life. I had never seen him cry. And then he broke down in just tears and wept. 
laughing just uncontrollably. And he looked up at me and he said, I'm so sorry, Rita. He said, you know, after seeing what I saw here that day, I had to shut myself off. I had to keep fighting. I was fighting for my country and I had to keep going. And I had the only way I could survive mentally after seeing just the rivers of blood was to shut everything off because I knew I had to fight for my comrades now who weren't with us anymore. And he said, and I'm so sorry that carried over into the way I acted as a father and the rest of my life. And I, and I, you know, and the way I treated the family, I'm so, so sorry. And the two of us just hugged at that moment. And that's where I really feel that I broke through. And after that moment, it's funny, now my dad is an amazingly loving father. And, and I feel that I, you know, at the end of the day, this has been a very turbulent decades with my dad. But at the end of the day, I feel that I hope my story completely inspires other people to reach out to their parents, their, their sons, their daughters who are over there in battle. Have them talk about it because after my dad shared the most painful moments of his life with me, now the two of us have bonded like you would not believe. And it's been the most amazing journey of my life. Well, and how interesting that like the suitcase that contained those precious relics um, from the Polish resistance, your father kept everything tightly sealed inside just like that suitcase. Yes, And walked through this world without sharing with anyone until you unlock the key. And I'm so glad I did. And I think, you know, I think I did it maybe with the love of a daughter and the persistence of a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father will say, look, if, if Rita had not reached out and been so persistent and also wanting to know so much, I don't think I ever would have shared the story. And to the end, the reason I picked the title Quiet Hero for the book, and again, the website's quiethero.org, quiethero.org for information, not just on the book, but also how you can get help, you know, for folks who are listening, that I feel the reason I picked it was to the bitter end, my father would never call himself a hero. And if you hear his story, it's anything, you know, anything but heroic. I mean, when you hear it, it's so incredible. And I, I wanted to say one important thing about my dad's story. After fighting in all the battles he went through, after, you know, the tank exploded, he continued fighting. He was later captured, taken to a prisoner of war camp. He escaped. At 90 pounds and 6 feet tall, my dad escaped. And he's in the woods. For two and a half days, he'd been fighting now, frontline fighting, where he was, you know, where the tank exploded was not too far from his home. I mean, my father was fighting for his homeland, for freedom, you know, not just, not a distant land, but literally his front door, you know. And I think that's why they were such ferocious fighters. They had to fight. And so here he is, you know, he's escaped from the POW campies with other prisoners. They look up. They're in the woods two and a half days, and they see in the sky a plane comes by, and they dive for the ditches, thinking this is a German plane. You know, they're in Germany at this point. Mm-hmm. It's still wartime. And they assume, oh, my gosh, we've been spot, you know, spotted. This is the end of it. And then they look up again, they see the plane again, and the plane drops something out, and they dive for the ditches, thinking it's a grenade, because that's what, again, they had been living with. And all of a sudden, they looked up, and they saw a star. And they realized at that moment it was an American plane. And what was dropped out was not a grenade, but it was a chocolate bar with a note wrapped around it, tied with a red ribbon. And the note came down. This is my favorite part of my dad's story. The note said, welcome. It's safe to walk now during daytime. There are no troops between you and our American lines. You have 15 miles to walk, and you're free. Oh, So my father at that moment ran with his men, 90 pounds, 6 feet tall, my dad, ran to American troops 15 miles west is what they went. 
and they ran to a riverbed and ran into these young American GIs who were 18 years old on the other side of the riverbed who hugged my dad and said, you're free, your nightmare's over. And at that point, my father said, I am coming to America because it is the greatest country in the world to send their men same age as my dad. Both, of, you know, they were 18, these GIs. My dad was only 18 at this point, you know, to send their men and women thousands of miles away to save me, to save this ragtag group of Poles. And my father said at that point, I am coming to America. So as soon as he sort of got his life together and got organized, he came to this great country because he said he wanted to give back. And that's why this book is so special to me and my dad. This is not just a book. This has been the most incredible journey of my life. And my father, too. And my father wanted to make sure that this book, and again, it's called quiethero.org. Quiethero.org is the website because proceeds from the book go to wounded troops and their families because this is my father's way to say thank you to those brave men and women who are on the other side of the riverbed 65 years ago or so and told him he was free. Rita, when you started uh, pulling the information together for this, did you do a lot of it on tape, or did you just sit and talk and take notes with your dad, or just sit there and digest his words? You know, I did a combination. At first, I digested the words, but then we also did film it, and we're going to be doing a documentary in the future, too, as well. Wonderful. And then, um, and then we filmed my dad going back to Poland. Everything. Oh, you did film that. And, and that was just an incredible moment. You know, you can just imagine how his reaction and, and everything he was experiencing and feeling and seeing. And we filmed him going back to the tank. And it's, um, it's incredibly emotional, needless to say. Mm. Well, and your father, did he get to meet the former president of Poland? Did you guys meet him? He did. Can you imagine? Here's my dad who <laughs> left, again, at gunpoint hobbling, was near death at this point, shoved on a rail car by the Nazis and not knowing where he's going. That was his last day in Poland. And then he comes back, and he got a hero's welcome from the president of Poland, a democratically elected president, needless to say. So my father just was sort of a surreal moment for him to walk in there, and he got a special commendation from him. And interestingly enough, President Kaczynski, the late president who died in the tragic plane crash, um, and we met him a few months before, he was his father and my father were in the same unit in the uprising really? for a brief period of time. Wow! Um, so he was so fascinated to meet my dad and curious what life was like. And and just like you guys said, he said he looked at my father and said, "Do you weren't in the uprising? You look too young." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, my dad was thrilled to hear that. <laughs> but what an amazing thing, Rita, to to go from you know probably anger and mistrust. And, you know, not understanding why your father did the things he did when he walked away from the family to becoming this quiet hero that has touched lives, that has moved mountains. It's got to be overwhelming. You know, it was one of the most beautiful moments in my life. Um, the book made the New York Times bestseller list, the Washington Post bestseller list, and, and USA Today bestseller list, which I was so happy because it means more money for the troops. Um, and one of the greatest moments of my life was when we hit the New York Times bestseller list to call my dad. Think about this moment. Here's my father, who could barely speak a word of English. I think he came with $100 in his pocket at the most over to America, um, you know, to this great country 
that came and saved him. And here it is, you know, fast forward, you know, almost, you know, seven decades later, and a book about his life is on the New York Times bestseller list, and a book honoring his comrades and the U.S. troops. It was a great call for me to make. And when I called my dad, I said, congratulations. And he said, congratulations to Poland, and congratulations to our great U.S. military. You know, because he knew right away that this is a tribute to them. And even to this day, my dad, if you ask him, you know, well, you know, it, it's incredible what you went through. It's, it's heroic. My dad would say, no, the real heroes are his comrades who did not make it back, and especially those incredible U.S. troops who saved his life, you know. And, and my father will never forget those faces on the, young, on the other side of the riverbed. They were just cheering and shouting, and here he was, you know, 90 pounds. And my dad said when he came up upon, it almost looked like a mirage. Well, and Rita, I'm going to say, I'm going to add on to that hero list also is you, my friend, because for you, there's a lot of people that would walk away from a situation. There's a lot of people that wouldn't dig to find the truth. They wouldn't back check, cross check, you know, make this a personal mission of yours. You know, as a journalist myself, a former journalist, you're currently a journalist. Um, it's a lot of work. It's heartbreaking. I'm so glad that you did this, and you also exercised the freedom that we have as women in our country to produce a book like this, to travel around the world, to report the truth as you see it. I am very proud of you as well as your father. Oh. I think there's a lot of heroes on the air today. Oh, they, and you know what? It's been a few. I'm, I'm humbled because it's... We'd love to hear from you. Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our shows are available on iTunes anytime from 0-100 hours to 23:59. For now, stay right where you are. There's more Military Mom Talk Radio after these messages. Hey moms, dads, and grandparents. This is Sandra Beck from Military Mom Talk Radio, and I know how hard it is to provide a great education for military kids. K-12 believes every child is uniquely brilliant. So to prepare them for college and succeed beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com front slash grade about enrollment. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, some are analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free, online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach to and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12-powered schools go on to fine colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed in life. Be part of the community of families who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students from grade K to 12. Visit k12.com front slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's k12.com front slash grade. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. 
Hey, military moms. This is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Robin Boyd. And now we're going to go to Allison Muse. And she so gets like, you know, the mom award because she's expecting her first baby in less Yay! than three weeks. And she's on the air with us today. <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but, oh, well, she is the author of this amazing book. You know, every once in a while, Rob, I have to go off on just a really, really great idea, and I can't believe nobody's done it yet. And she did it. She wrote a book called Intro to Army Life. And it's everything you need to know to get through the first years as an army spouse and or like an army girlfriend or significant other. No one hands you this guidebook when you enter into army life. And Rob, how many times on the air have we heard people say to our spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends, well, you should have known what you were getting into. You knew this was the army or you knew this was the Navy. Well, how? How the hell do you know, know what you don't know? That's right. You don't know. But now we do because of Allison's book. <sighs> Thank you so much for having me on. So how'd you come up with the idea of Intro to Army Life? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea, I got to tell you. Oh, thank you. I love what you said about you just don't know if you don't know. And um, that was really kind of how I felt when I um, we met on a blind date. I had never been involved in a military lifestyle or had a military boyfriend. And, like, very quickly I kind of found out that it's a little bit of a subculture. And uh, I had no idea. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) A little bit of a subculture. And I'm just a really curious person, so I kind of want to know, like, what I'm getting into. And I want to talk the same language that, you know, he was talking, understand what he was saying. And... Um, really, I just kind of started gathering all the questions that I had, and I just thought this could really help somebody else like me who's just starting to date, you know, an Army soldier or, um, you know, kind of just married an Army soldier, and he's gone off to a year-long deployment, and they're just lost, and there's just a lot of things that nobody tells you, and I didn't... Like you said, there was no other book out there like this. It was just short, concise, to the point. And so I thought, heck, I'll just write one. (laughs) Well, I love that you put in the top five Army acronyms because, you know, it's like I was raised, you know, with a dad in the Navy and, you know, I was around the military subculture, I don't know, for like 20 years. So I picked up all these acronyms. And when I go into the civilian arena, I'm like, okay, GTG, blah, 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 blah. And they look at me like I'm speaking another language. And it really is another language. It is. It definitely is. And I... Like, I find myself using those acronyms now to my family, and they're like, I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's like a secret code. It is. And there's so many acronyms. Like, my husband is saying them all the time. You know, they they have acronyms for acronyms, so... There's no way. Hey, you know, um, I got to tell you, Allison, the first show we did on Military Mom was, was it NACRA, Robin? It was the yes. National <laughs> Association of Child Care, I don't know, AA something, but it was N-A-A-C-R-A-A. I blew it was it the longest acronym. It was, it really was. <laughs> that was the beginning. Sometimes we oh, even still get guests on that use, you know, like when we had the DOD education. D-E- yes, on. DODEA, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, is, it, 
Doria. You know, there's just everything is abbreviated. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And, you know, it's so overwhelming. You know, when I look at this book that you wrote, I smile just over and over because, you know, the army hierarchy, the social structure, then you've got deployment, you put in the perks of a military ID, you've got military discounts in there, resources for military children. I mean, these are stuff that you had to learn the hard way because they yeah, don't want to anything. <laughs> no, they don't. I mean... I think you're kind of lucky if you, you know, get invited to a barbecue and meet somebody, really. Um, or if you find out about the FRG group and where it is and what time to show up. I mean, it's like nobody really tells you. You have to go out and seek all that information yourself. And how can you seek that information out if you don't even know it exists? Well, and that's where your fro comes in because, you know, your fro, your family readiness officer is supposed to do some of this stuff. Well, they don't. Sometimes you have a good one. Sometimes you've got one that's completely overwhelmed or you don't even know what a fro is or that your fro is supposed to help you. I mean, it's just it's so difficult. And if you're a girlfriend or a a boyfriend, you know, you're not even eligible for half of this stuff. Right. Right. You're well, exactly right. Too, I was going to say what's difficult, too, is that if you are a newlywed and all of a sudden, boom, they do get deployed, you are sort of stuck in the lurch because you at least, if they're around, you can say, what do you have this uh, officer that I can turn to? But if they're gone, you really are stuck. So uh, this this is just marvelous that we have this resource. Yeah, thank you. And I think that happens a lot. I think, you know, a lot of people rush to get married before deployment. Um, <laughs> you know, because you get a little bit more pay and you're going to be without that person for a year and everything else that goes along with that. You kind of rush into a, a quickie marriage and then when they're gone, you're kind of uh, left in a lurch like, oh, my goodness, I don't even... I may not have even met all of his friends yet and their wives. And sure. So. Well, and then you have the issue of reservists. You know, we have all these military reservists, and some of our reservists are doing as much or more time than some of our active duty. I know the National Guard um, was calling up a bunch of people. So now you've got even one step more removed because you're a reservist family. Right, and that's kind of where I found myself because, you know, my husband, he's active duty National Guard, so he does go to work there every day, which is a little bit different than most National Guardsmen, but but we don't, we don't live on an installation, and, um, you know, we're spread out all over the community, so he really helped me before he left by introducing me to all of his Army friends. You know, he has Army friends and non-Army friends. But he introduced me to his army friends and their wives and just made a point to bring all of us together as much as possible before he left, just to kind of help connect me and plug me in, you know, with the resources and, and people who are going through the same thing, just so I could have that support network while he was gone. So if you had this guidebook when you first um, entered the military as a spouse, because that's what we think of it, as everybody serves in the family, um, how would your life have been different if you had a copy of this in your hands? 
Oh, well, I think I would have felt a little bit more normal, <laughs> um, especially going through a deployment because I just felt so emotional during the deployment, just being a newlywed and then having to ship my husband off to war to a combat zone. Um, you know, that's a little stressful. That's in a lot. Yeah, that's a lot for anyone. Yeah, and, and then throw you know, in babies in the mix or new babies or babies on the way. That's typical. Oh, it's so typical. And, you know, I think, you know, in that effort, excuse me, at the FRG meetings that I went to, they talked about the stages of deployment and, you know, that kind of helped me feel a little bit normalized in the emotions that I had surrounding the deployment. Like, okay, it's okay to feel like this right now. This is, this is this is normal. It's a normal emotion for an abnormal circumstance of having your husband deployed for a year to a war zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, we, just because of the absurdity <laughs> of what it is. Allison, we want to make sure everyone knows where they can get your book because here we're telling everybody they can't live without it. So where can they go? Well, they can go to my website. It's uh, www.introtoarmylife.com. And they can buy a book there, or it's also available on Amazon in a paperback and ebook, and it's also available on Barnes and Noble in the Nook. Awesome, that's wonderful. And we want to spell your name in case they're trying to find you. It's A L L I S O N, and the last name is M E W E S. Again, that's www.intro to Army Life. Com. Allison, thanks so much for being here. We, we're we charged now. We can handle anything. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> you know, we're all in it together. So we just build a support network and be persistent, be our own advocate. Uh, we can all get through it. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 200 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom Talk Radio.